0: Throughout human history, societies have grappled with fundamental questions of how to organize themselves. Government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Tech companies are actually taking over the world, and they're doing it with our government's help. But there also seems to be a growing awareness that they have become so big that they have too much power now. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and is gravely to be regarded. There's a hidden goal driving the direction of all of the technology we make. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that combines military, intelligence, economic, scientific and political operations. Public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. People all over this country are wondering whether or not this great country is evolving into an oligarchic society. This alternative vision argues that ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs. That order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereign. Now we can see a new world coming into view. A world in which there is a very real prospect of a new world order. And today, that new world is struggling to be born, the dream of a new world order. Hello, and welcome to the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua, your host, as we get into an episode that delves into the idea of the technocracy possibilities that could be coming and already are in existence So the last episode, I talked about how we're in this age of transition, and we are shifting from the age of economics to the age of technocracy. And so I want to play on this idea of technocracy, what that looks like, and some illusions that I have uh, conglomerated together to form some ideas of what this may look like in real life from some things that you might recognize So again, this is coming from a book that I'm working on that I'll be getting into in the next season. But I want to get a rough picture, more macro view of some of these ideas and get them out there. I've been talking about how I've heard random podcasts over the past few weeks of people covering some of the same concepts that I'm talking about here. And I heard another one today, actually, it was on the Econ Talk podcast with Russ Roberts. That's another one I would highly recommend and I've recommended before. And he had someone on there that that I strongly disagreed with. I would guess he probably did too, although he didn't state that. But um, this was a person who was very focused on kind of the mainstream narrative in regards to climate change and equality and racism and all these things. And so it was a different perspective than what I would usually go for. But she was talking about how we are in the declining stages of democracy, and uh, talking about how things are starting to kind of fall apart in different in different ways and the roles of institutions are changing and how the right, especially politically has had this split between the centrists and the far-right and kind of what impact that has had, nationalism versus globalism, these types of things. And a lot of the things that she was talking about fit in very well with what I talked about last episode, that we're in this age of transition and um, a lot of similar things. So again, I'm I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this from a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different sources. And so it's, it's interesting. I have a brother-in-law that mentioned to me just the other day that he's been hearing from some very mainstream sources like uh, Bloomberg and places like that and how he's seen articles and heard people talk about this idea of the uh, global reserve currency status of the dollar kind of being in question and how that might look differently in the future again that's something if you've been listening to this show from the beginning i've i've talked about that for a long time now i did a whole episode on that aspect probably a year and a half ago or more. And a lot of these things sounded really crazy or out there at least a little extreme back when I began covering them. And I was covering stuff that I'd learned about from people that had written about it years ago and even decades ago. So again, it wasn't original to me. But it's just interesting to see these things come up in more more of a mainstream setting and come up more often, even in the Uh, sources that I usually follow, and that's kind of confirmation that things are happening and a lot of this stuff is real, and so we should probably pay close attention. So to move on into what I wanted to cover in this episode, it's the idea of technocracy. And in the previous episode, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen. And if you haven't heard other episodes, you should be listening to all of them, ideally. And they do build on each other, especially when you do an entire season. That is pretty important. So moving on, though, building on this idea of what a technocracy is, a technocracy could look... Lots of different ways. It could play out in different ways. It, just the aspects of having an expert council kind of ruling over things and handling resource allocation and stuff like this. Like overall, that structure is one that is fairly vague. It's kind of similar to talking about the nation state system. And uh, you could make some broad statements about that, but it can play out in many different ways. Even capitalism as a whole, it can play out in many different ways. And so, again, to talk about technocracy, uh, well, it could play out in many different ways. I had mentioned how there are two specific Uh, formulas that I was going to mention in this episode. That would be the 1984 Machiavellian Panopticon and the Brave New Republic Foundation. So I'll start off by just kind of going over each of these allusions and then tie them all together for what this looks like for a system. So in the first one, I'm talking about the Machiavellian aspect, at least, is referring to The Prince written by Machiavelli. And in The Prince, it is focused on how to maximize your political power and your control over your subjects. And it's not just over your subjects, it's over your enemies, it's over even your friends and your allies. And the idea is that you maximize your own desires, you create your own vision, and you're doing this by taking away from other people to satisfy yourself and to make your plans come to fruition. And in doing so, you're controlling Again, both the masses and the elite circles. It's both your court and your enemies that might want to see you executed, whether it be the enemies of your uh, state or territory, or just your enemies that are your political enemies that would love to have you out of the way so they can take power. There are many different things you have to look out for if you are a prince, if you are a ruler. And when you do this, you need to do it in a ruthless manner, according to Machiavelli here. He talks about how, uh, for example, you want to be religious in an outward perspective. So people will view you as a religious person, someone that follows God, and that is very moral and devout. That's how you want to come across to the masses. But in your private life, and behind the scenes, you want to be the exact opposite. You want to be extremely ruthless. You want to be cutting. You want to be conniving. You want to be basically the opposite of an upstanding moral Christian. But it is crucial that you come off as an upstanding moral person to the public. And so it's this idea of disguising your true intentions and creating this facade. It's all about, I guess, kind of propaganda and marketing. That's that's how marketing is. It's all about the perception that you are selling. It's not about the product itself. You need to manipulate the perception of the product. You don't need to manipulate the product. That's not your job in regards to marketing. And oftentimes, as a whole, the success of a project is not necessarily about the quality of the project as much as it is about the marketing of the project, or even more so, the perception of the project, which is manipulated by the marketing. Another word for marketing, propaganda. And so this is the idea. Those are some aspects, at least, of the prints that I want to highlight. If you've read any of these, you should know that these go much much deeper if you really get into it. And it might be fun if, well, I guess it depends on your opinion of fun, but uh, I think it would be fun and interesting to go over these books that I am mentioning and these sources I'm mentioning and then just read them kind of in order, at least roughly, and then apply them the way I'm talking about here. I think it is very revealing I have read most of these, at least in the past two years or so, and especially since COVID hit, they have been extremely timely. And so it's concepts that are timeless and timely at the same time, which is pretty cool. So that's the idea of the prince, that's the Machiavellian aspect. The 1984 aspect is, of course, an allusion to Orwell's 1984 dystopian future where Big Brother is controlling everything, it's the party, it's the idea of the state taking over and running absolutely everything. But the way the state is portrayed in 1984 is nothing like the political state of today. In fact, Although there are a lot of politics involved in that society, there are no laws. You just basically do what you're supposed to do. And if you don't, they take you away and you disappear. And so people are incentivized to, you know, do the right thing and support the party. But it's not by having politicians creating laws and voting on things. Uh, this, There's nothing like that in the 1984 ruling system. There are posters of Big Brother everywhere, and this idea of Big Brother is just like a never-ending, eternal figure that never changes, that never goes away. It's the same picture that people always see. That is the face of the party. And this is the elite class that rules everything, but you don't really see them. It's kind of interesting. It's people behind the scenes, and they are largely experts that are just running systems. You have the Ministry of Peace, which is all about handling Warfare. You have the Ministry of Love, which is all about making sure that everyone is in full support of the party. That's where the Thought Police come into play. You have the Ministry of Plenty, which is involved with rationing, food supplies, and things like this. And then you have the Ministry of Truth. Making sure that everything the party says and has always said lines up with what really exists, or at least what people believe really exist, to the point of even going back and rewriting history, rewriting articles, republishing things, should sound familiar when you think about how news agencies today will often go back and revise an article that they might have put out previously that turned out to not be quite as true as they would have hoped for, and they just revise it quietly, no announcement, no nothing, and then all of a sudden it's changed. You go back and look at the article, oh, they must have been right about this all along. Well, not quite. But uh, especially with the technology we have with the internet today, this is more and more possible. Data and technology, propaganda, surveillance, all of these are maximized to the extreme in 1984 to make sure that society is organized and running the way that it should for the benefit of the party. And with this, you have these control systems, the Ministry of Truth, the Ministry of Peace, all these ministries I just mentioned. These are control systems that exist kind of behind the scenes And so it's not that you don't know that they're there. Of course, everyone knows that they're there. Everybody knows the types of things that they do. But uh, people just generally believe that they are doing their job. They're doing what needs to be done to make sure society is safe and stable and all this kind of stuff. And so they kind of ignore it. And they basically just believe whatever they are told, whatever the media tells them, whatever propaganda comes out, they believe it. They believe that the party is trying to take care of them. The Ministry of Plenty, of course, makes sure that they always have food. Therefore, they must be good, and we must support them because, well, we all want food, and we are all very grateful that they can get us this food, especially in a time of constant warfare. The Ministry of Peace is making sure that we stay peaceful and safe in our little society, even though there's, you know, there are these crazy enemies out there that are always trying to attack us, all these, you know, crazy explosions that happen that we know happen and they're very scary, and we want someone to keep us safe. Thank God for the Ministry of Peace. They are the ones doing that job. And it's it's this idea where you are so thankful for the government. Again, this should sound fairly familiar. False flag opportunity. Operations and things like this exist. And there is a, a little bit of a side note. I don't know if it relates, but as I talk, maybe I'll find a way to make it relate. But in 1984, there's a section where they talk about how the economy works and basically the broad aspect of society after the Industrial Revolution and how machines started to be able to do more and more. Productivity would go way up, efficiency went way up, and if this were allowed to continue, then people would only have to work about half as much as they did before, or less, and you could still produce even more goods than you ever could, and have the standard of living just keep getting higher and higher and higher, and people would have more and more leisure time, and everything. Uh, in one aspect, would be more and more utopian. The problem here is that as people get more and more leisure time, they have less and less to have to worry about. Their of living is going up and up, They their reliance on the government becomes less and less. They are less loyal to the party. They don't need the party. And they become much more independent, they're educating themselves, they're branching out, they're being creative, they're building critical thinking skills and doing these types of things in ways that they're interested in, so they're really into it, and they're able to follow these interests. And you know that's not good for the party. That would not be good for the strength of the state. Therefore, you have to keep that in check somehow. But you don't want to totally get rid of this system that is mechanized and industrial and really keeps things going can produce a whole lot, whatever you want, really, you want that system, you destroy it, you know, people will hate you. And it's just not probably a good idea. You always want to be able to fall back on that and be able to use that for what you want it for. But at the same time, you want to make sure that production is not at the point where people are going to be at this stage where they stop relying on the government, trusting the government, wanting and needing the government. And where they're thinking for themselves much more. You can't have that. That's not a good recipe for power of the elites. And so the way things have taken place in 1984, basically, there is never ending warfare that solves this problem. So if you are constantly at war, then you are constantly producing things, you're using these advances in industry and technology and efficiency and productivity, but you're using them to feed the war effort. And in the war effort, they just get blown up and they just get destroyed. You keep using them and you keep using them up and they keep disappearing. Not only do they disappear, but you're destroying things with them and people with them. And those people then have to be healed and worked on. And those things, those buildings and roads have to be rebuilt. And so you're not only destroying the things that you are steering your industry towards creating, but you're also destroying even more things that industry has to then build and rebuild and that kind of stuff. And so it's this funnel for resources where you can keep this industrialized society that continues to advance technologically and everything else without having the common person really have that scenario of having a very high quality of life, more leisure time, more independence, and uh, coming away and weaning off of the power elite at the top, so to say, these systems of control. And they're not going to question them because not only are they not at that point where they have all this leisure time, they're highly educated, they're independent and doing their own thing, uh, not only is that not going to happen, but with a constant state of warfare, you can keep them constantly afraid. And when they are scared, they have this fear that is always there, then they will be even more reliant and loyal to their nation, to their party, to their state, whatever. They will be more loyal and more reliant because there is this enemy out there, this scary enemy that's always trying to blow us up and always trying to kill people and destroy things and, you know, on and on. And so that's, an interesting aspect of 1984 that really relate, relates to today, especially when he gets talking about how you don't want to have the main nation states attacking each other. In 1984, I think there are three main States, if I remember right, but their warfare is not between themselves with their homelands. They pick these proxy areas and they battle and fight these proxy wars over island areas and places like this. But the key place is the Middle East. And that is the key proxy zone for the warfare where the different world powers can fight each other in the Middle East in this choke point that basically has always been. And that's where they waste most of their resources and have their never ending wars. Um, at least to the most degree. And some will take territory, some will lose territory. It'll go back and forth. One world power will be fighting another. And then a few years later, maybe they're fighting the other one allied with the previous one. And the people, meanwhile have no idea they just know that there's the enemy the enemy's bad and we don't like them and it's interesting how the propaganda works how the state basically just changes who the enemy is and the people don't even realize it they just go right along with it because this is life this is what they believe this is how it's always been and again a lot of these things should ring true to today for you all Um, a very interesting thing i was talking with someone last night i have a blockchain meetup that meets locally that I go to and we talk about things related to blockchain, cryptocurrencies, economics, that kind of stuff. And somehow China came up and them the idea of them building these cities that then no one lives in and they've built power plants, they've built skyscrapers, they've built all this infrastructure, and then no one is there. It's an entire city for like a million people and no one is there. And I've thought about this aspect of 1984 that I just mentioned. Well, China doesn't necessarily have a lot of wars. They don't have a lot of proxy wars. They don't have a lot of war going on at all. Whereas like America, for example, we are in this constant state of war ever since you know decades ago. And we do have this outlet for a lot of our stuff. China doesn't. And so I was kind of wondering, I haven't really played around with the idea much. Again, it just came to me last night. While we were talking, I didn't even get to talk about it or exploit it or really think about it much until right now. But it was just in, an interesting thought that you know maybe that's the outlet for china where you just build you know massive infrastructure projects massive cities all these things and that's where your industry goes that's where your labor goes that's where all your efforts go and that is your outlet because you don't have a constant never ending war to feed all your surplus to and instead you create something different but it basically fills the same void it but uh, fulfills the same purpose so I, I just thought that was an interesting thought. But moving on, there was one more illusion that I mentioned for this example, this uh, technocratic system possibility here, and that would be the panopticon. So I was right in the last episode when I said I thought it was Jeremy Bentham. I just looked at the book. I've got the panopticon writings on my shelf, and I just double-checked, and that is the author. He wrote about this system that he called the panopticon back in the late 1700s, so this is an old idea, but he had this idea for an architecture for a prison where you could have the least amount of prison guards with the maximum control over the inmates. And that's kind of I guess the ideal prison where you barely have to have any staff there, but you have very high quality control and containment controls, make sure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to, not rioting, not killing each other, you know, that kind of stuff. And so he designed a building to achieve this, and through the architecture and the psychology involved in that, he was able to theoretically achieve this goal strictly through the system that the architecture created. It's really interesting. So his idea was that you had this prison that was built, basically imagine a circle with the whole middle being a big open courtyard, and the circular structure of the prison has cells, and they all have... Have open walls that face inward. So every single cell on every floor, all around the building, all faces to the center of this courtyard. And then in the middle of the courtyard, you have a tower. And in that tower, you have multiple windows that are very difficult to see in from the outside, but you can see out very easily. And from the tower, you would then obviously be able to see every single cell in the entire prison from that one point, that one tower. And since you can't really tell who's inside that tower and who's behind the window, the prisoners themselves in their cells and walking around never know if they are being watched at any given moment in time. They never quite know how many guards are in that tower. They don't know if they're always being watched, if they're never being watched, if they're just occasionally being watched, if there's one guy in there or a hundred guys in there. They really don't know and you can't tell this. And uh, there are obviously things you could do to... Uh, influence the perception of the prisoners and steer them towards thinking one thing or the other. Again, the idea of propaganda, marketing, perception, this kind of stuff. And it, it's basically a big psychological play on their minds where they always feel like they're being watched. And it's not only psychological in this way, it's also kind of just a statistical math problem. It's the likelihood of you getting busted. And so because you know there is always a chance that you are being watched at any given point in time and you have no way of verifying when those times are, how often those times are, it just might not be worth the risk. The risk-reward there uh, might not be enough for you to risk doing something that you could get busted for. And you might try little things and test the system, so to say, but if this system was functioning properly, they would make sure they would have crackdowns that everyone would know about on a fairly regular basis so that people, again, then perceive this as being something where you're always being watched. No matter where you are, or what you're doing, someone is always watching you. They will see. They might miss a few little things here and there, but they are going to see things and maybe they don't even miss those little things here and there. Maybe they just let them slide and they pick and choose who they're going to bust and why. You, know, you never know. It's, it's kind of a mind game again, but you end up with a prison that has a lot of control. It is very peaceful. It is very well run. It's very well organized, but you only have to have a few staffers in there. You don't have to have a whole lot because just the few that are there can leverage the architecture and the psychological imprint that you're putting on the whole prison, and they can manage the entire thing with just a handful of staff. And so he was able to theoretically achieve this without having to do anything really all that crazy it's just an architectural design that's it well there were later philosophers that then took this idea uh, Foucault is a good example here where they took this idea of the panopticon system and uh, broadened it out from being just a prison system and just an architecture to a societal control system where if society in general if the citizens always wonder if they are being watched and if their government is watching them and just waiting and picking and choosing when to crack down on people. And people believe this and they think that there might be someone that is watching what they're doing that's double checking everything that they do then people society the citizens they will probably fall in line a lot more than they would have otherwise if they could see the presence of the state at all times if there is this kind of secret presence that you never know if you're being watched or not then you can get some very efficient and effective control mechanisms for the society as a whole just by leveraging this system and this architecture, so to say, more societal architecture, governmental architecture, technological architecture, And so this is an idea that I then apply. And uh, as we apply that, I can add back in the views of Machiavelli and the ideas and concepts from 1984. So the idea here is that you do have a ruling elite at the top. You have a system, you have a party, you have a state, you have a government, you have something that is visible and everybody knows that it's there and they know that they are in control. They know that they can crack down and do crack down on people that are dissenters and that go against the system, but you don't necessarily always see them. You don't know exactly who they are. You don't know exactly their motives and intentions. You kind of have these figureheads, and you know what the system is, and you know roughly how it works, but how it could apply to you if you go against the system, if you're a rebel in some way, you never quite know. You're not quite sure. And so you're always playing this risk reward game in your head. And oftentimes if you come up to a stoplight in the middle of nowhere, you obviously see that no one's around. You might still wait for it to turn green before you go straight, even though you know for a fact that there's no one around. You're not going to get in a wreck. You're not going to hurt anybody. You're not going to really cause any harm in any way. You're stopped at a stoplight but there's no one around you can see for a mile in every direction and it's dark there's no headlights or uh, maybe it's dark and there's street lights along all the streets so even though you see no headlights you can also see that even if there's a car with no headlights on anyway driving 100 miles an hour you would still see it but a lot of people will still sit at that red light until it turns green just because it is ingrained in them that you follow the rules that you do what you're supposed to do you, you never quite know and even if someone does go through the red light They're definitely wondering, they're looking, they're questioning their action. They might be hesitant in going forward with it, even though they know it's perfectly safe and there's nothing that will hurt them and there's nothing that they will hurt, there's still that control mechanism in the back of their mind because of this system that is set up. Like 1984, we're in this constant state of war, and you have the idea of the state as being the one who is always taking care of people, who fulfills this role of the ministry of plenty, the ministry of truth, the ministry of peace all of the ministry of love, all of these things. And that is very true. People look to the government to make sure that everyone has the food they need. Think of welfare programs. People look to the government to make sure that they are safe from all these enemies that the government itself has created. Uh, Yeah, again, don't look too deeply into this because it all falls apart, but uh, this is the system we live in. Uh, People do make sure that they don't outwardly and obviously go against the system and rebel, at least not commonly, most people, let's say 99% of people, because of this panopticon system behind the scenes, it's the idea of the ministry of truth and the thought police. They are always making sure that people aren't thinking the wrong way, this idea of wrong think. We want to make sure we curb that. That gets, that gets censored. That gets changed. And we all know that that happens. We know that people are getting kicked off of YouTube and Twitter and everything else. And we know why but we aren't quite sure exactly where that line is. We don't know exactly what we can post and can't post. Some people have posted stuff that's very anti-government and they're not kicked off. And other people have barely crossed the line and they're gone in a heartbeat and you don't hear from them. This is the idea of the Ministry of Truth and, uh, to a degree, the idea of the cancel culture that we're in right now. And it's the idea of leveraging all the technology to do this and creating the infrastructure systems like the Panopticon, where you have surveillance cameras on every corner, you have red light cameras everywhere, you have drones that are flying around, you've got all this stuff. You have contact tracing that's come up since COVID. You have the NSA listening to all your conversations, your phone calls, your messages, your text messages, your emails. You have big tech that can filter through all your photos, all your data, all your web history, your emails. Again, all this stuff. And you know you're being watched, and you never know how that could play out and how that could negatively affect you if you're doing something that's majorly against the system. So you inherently have this motivation, this incentive to fall in line with the social system that's in place even though most of us probably disagree with it. And we can talk about that to a degree, but it's not necessarily out in the open. It's not something that we would actively rebel against, at least not often. And if we do, it's in these kind of controlled ways where you've got things like a protest here and there, or maybe you have someone that comes out and is a whistleblower on a specific thing or whatever. You've got things like this, a video that goes viral or whatever. And these things can have an impact, uh, obviously. Usually the impact is because that thing got manipulated and overblown and used as propaganda in order to push some agenda to spark something really big, not necessarily just because it naturally went viral or was a big deal or whatever. But that goes back to the idea of propaganda and manipulating perception and control controlling the public through these systems of control that they don't even realize. I'm also going through the book uh, Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky and somebody else. He had a co-author on that. And one of the things he does talk about is that it's not that the media is all controlled by one person who's dictating every single thing and it's not that every single reporter and every single person and every single news station is all trying to push this one agenda. No, it's that this system has been created where only a handful of mega corporations dominate the entire media landscape. It's everything, it's newspapers, it's uh, the news, it's online sources, it's television shows, it's movies, it's just all of it. They are all controlled by just a handful of big corporations that own a million subsidiary companies and all this kind of stuff. And they basically make sure that they hire people that are friendly to the ideas that they want to get out there. And so it's not necessarily that the people themselves are purposefully pushing an agenda and it's this one common agenda that everybody's on board, this big conspiracy. It's just that if you make sure you hire people that believe a certain thing and think a certain way and you push stories that promote that idea and that way of thinking and that you know they're going to take a certain way and maybe you give... Um, Overall summaries that you hand out to all your news stations that have the same stories that are going to be covered in roughly the same way by people that believe roughly the same thing, then obviously you're going to get a message out that is fairly uniform and consistent. And in doing so, you have succeeded in propagandizing the public into something, whatever it is your goal is. You're manipulating their perception, you're manipulating what they think and how they think all by creating this system that exists behind the scenes. And we know that it does exist to an extent. We know there's influence in the media. You've got this idea of fake news and you know the media being kind of a dirty word nowadays. And we know that it's there, but it's kind of behind the scenes. And even though we know who's involved roughly, we know roughly what's going on, it's also more of a system that's in control, more so than a single person or a single company. And so again, we have all of these things tying together where we have this 1984 type control system that's built around the architecture of a panopticon all with the ide- ideology of like a Machiavellian prince where it's all about uh, centralizing power and doing what's best for those who are at the top and portraying some image even though behind the scenes and in reality they're doing the exact opposite but you're portraying that image in order to manipulate people in order to to create this system that does control everyone and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It all works together to form a system fairly similar to what we have today. And I would argue that that is a very technocratic system of control for society, but it exists And it exists in a nation-state system that we have today. We don't live under a technocracy. There's not a council of experts that's openly running things in any way, at least not at that level. We still have nation-states and governments and politicians and all of these things that still exist. That's still the front. You still have the party, so to say, like 1984, and they're the ones in charge. It's the prince. It's the party. It's the prison. It's a specific thing. It's a specific structure that's there. We still have that. And it's just using these uh, technocratic means and methods in order to carry out the support and the furtherance of this system. They're using technocratic means to control society through these systems that already exist that have just evolved into a technocratic style. So what I would argue is that we are in the beginning stages of moving towards a technocracy. We are a technocratic system, but we are not a technocracy. And so that That's where I believe we are now as we are transitioning into a technocracy. We are getting there. We will get there eventually, more than likely. Obviously, I can't tell the future, but I would say I've had plenty of information and content and history to back up that this is at least a very possible uh, possibility. And so what I would say is that we're in this transitional period. We have these technocratic aspects. We can see the possibility of a technocracy, but it doesn't exist yet. And so that's where we are now. And I would say that the next thing that I will propose is where we are headed in. Into where we are going. And that system is more of a technocracy and it does operate differently. There are obviously some similarities that is still technocratic. They both are, but it is different. And I have run out of time in this episode, so I will address that in the next episode and I'll do that other example full of illusions next time. And that will be pulling from Brave New World and Plato's Republic and Asimov's Foundation series. Those are the allusions that I'll be referring to there and pulling together and playing with. So that's next episode. I guess after that, I'll probably move into... Things uh, more COVID-related. And I had mentioned vaccines. Uh, there's another thing I've been wanting to do, something about the kind of biosecurity paradigm that we're shifting into. And I'll probably tie that in with vaccines. I may do a follow-up episode on my opinion of COVID. So I, I kind of started with that. And then I got a little sidetracked with this idea of the transitional age and technocracy and this kind of stuff. So I'll, I'll wrap that up probably next episode and then get back into the COVID deal and then get into, I guess everything's COVID related, but then get into probably economics, I guess. I don't know. I had mentioned all the different things that I've thought about for this transition in between seasons and uh, we'll see. But uh, we'll finish up this idea of the technocratic possibilities or technocracy possibilities in the next episode. So please come back next time and listen to that. Thank you very much for all of your support of all kinds ratings reviews word of mouth uh twitter responses i don't know anything and everything especially those who are patrons and who are actually giving money to support this show that is how i pay for the hosting fees now that's how i pay for my audible subscription where i get a lot of my research materials from and that is greatly appreciated i i very much appreciate that. I have very little that I have to pay for out of pocket myself in regards to this podcast outside of obviously my time and my efforts. But um, there is little that I actually have to pay for in addition to that with hard-earned money so i greatly appreciate that you guys are supporting me in this and supporting these things that i'm doing again be sure to send me any requests that you have for other topics that you would like for me to do in this transitional period while you can i usually do not have this opportunity but now i do so take advantage while you can and with that i'm out peace This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.